Welcome to Stratagems, a podcast where we talk about Stratacorporation issues in British Columbia. My name's Barry Burko, and I'll be your host. Welcome to the podcast. Today we have Paul Mendez from Les Bronze Mendez, a very well-known firm specializing in uh, condominium issues. Uh, good morning, Paul. How are you? Good morning. How are you? I'm very good. And you? Are you good? I am well. I'm well. Yes. Thank good. you. Better than the weather, anyway. <laughs> I caught you actually on the news last night. Um, very interesting topic, um, fees, liens, and all that stuff. And I think that would be a very good topic for our discussion today. Okay. All right. So, Paul, um, take us through the collections process. Well, first of all, maybe we should back up. The maintenance fees, what are they made of? Why, why are they important that people pay them? Sure. Well, strata corporations uh, have uh, certain responsibilities under the law. They have to um, repair and maintain the common property, which is probably their single largest uh, uh, obligation under the legislation. And uh, they, of course, have to administer uh, all the um, activities of the strata corporation, manage the strata corporation. And that, of course, costs uh, money. And the other thing is that the strata corporation has to, because it has this duty to repair and maintain, it also has to set aside uh, funds for future uh, repair and maintenance or contingent liabilities that may arise in the future. So it has to also keep a bank account that's known as a contingency reserve fund, and it has to contribute set amounts to that every year. Now, what's happening, uh, and I, I don't know that this is a recent phenomenon. I think it's actually been a problem in uh, BC and elsewhere where condominiums are very um, common is that people are not uh, raising enough money uh, through their budgets and saving enough money in their contingency reserve uh, for these expenses. So why do you think that is? Why do you, are, they, are they trying to keep their fees low so they can spend their money on other things like food and, and, and the outrageous prices of cauliflower these yeah, days? I, I, yes. Uh, and again, yeah, you're, I mean, you're sort of something that's topical in the news is how cost of living is going up very dramatically because of the dropping Canadian dollar. But this has always been a problem uh, going back, I think, as, as long as condos have been around. The, the owners decide what their budgets are going to be. And m- most people, um, just like many homeowners, uh, will defer things like maintenance. Uh, I'm talking about uh, single-family homeowners. They'll defer maintenance. They'll replace the roof when they have to. Uh, they'll paint when they have to uh, and, and caulk when they have to. Uh, and stratas are no different. Uh, so I guess what and, you're saying is that... Um, the owners collectively are saying, "Look, I don't mind spending a couple, three, you know, hundred dollars a month for the ongoing maintenance, sort of the ongoing uh, operation of the Strata Corporation. But if there's a big ticket item, come get me with a special levy, and I'll be happy to pay." That's that's what you're talking uh, about. In, in theory, in theory, that's how it's supposed to work. So we'll keep the maintenance fees low. We'll under we'll we'll keep the contribution to the contingency reserve low, and then when the day comes. Uh, that we need to do a repair, we'll pass a special levy, and the owners that are on uh, the strata, the, the, that own units, the time that special levy is due, they, they can deal with it. Well, the problem with that is that what it has done is created, I think, a crisis uh, in condos where a lot of them are very poorly repaired, repaired and maintained and in danger 
of um, facing a severe reduction in the value of those properties. And you've got to think about it in this way. Condominium living one, it is an answer to high housing costs. Uh, it is impossible for everyone to live in a detached home. There's simply not enough land uh, that's close enough to town that makes that viable. So subdividing by strata is a way to improve affordability. So it's always been intended to be an affordable form of housing. You might question that when you see units selling in the millions of dollars uh, in the city, but that's, a, that's simply a factor of how high demand uh, housing is. And then I guess what it, you know, one of the one of the offshoots of this is that it creates these mini communities where um, people maybe have come from a single, uh, you know, d- detached home, and then they are, you know, put into this position where they they've never lived with neighbors that closely and have had to interact with them mm-hmm. both on the management of the building and the operation of the building. And, and many are just, I think, unprepared uh, or maybe just unwilling to participate. And you get this apathetic uh, ownership and then you've got uh, you know, a group of people that are leading, um, leading the charge, as it were, and maybe with the best interests in mind, but, but maybe not with the best interest in the building in mind. And, uh, you know, if you think of, of condominium living as an affordability issue, you do have people in a lot of condos who simply don't have the ability to uh, lay out $20,000 in a special levy for major repairs. In fact, for those individuals, having a budget that accurately forecasts future repairs and, and, and contributes to a contingency reserve so that special levies will be less frequently needed, it is in their interest to do that. The difficulty is that what's required to fund those repairs now in terms of a monthly strata fee is quite high. I I went to a meeting a few years ago, I'm going to say probably about four years ago, where the strata fees were about $180 a month. And I said at the meeting, it was the issue was of desperate need of repair. The water was literally dripping in most of the top floor units. And I said to them, one of the things that's going to happen after, uh, you know, you bring in an administrator, they couldn't run their business, so they needed to bring in an administrator, which is like a receiver. I said, once that administrator is here, uh, your strata fees are probably going to double. You'll be somewhere between $300 and $400. And it was as if I had told them, that there was a giant meteor headed towards Earth and, and all life would become extinct. Wow. Like the cries that, you know, people, oh no, and the hand ringing. And I felt really bad for them because they, you know, this is, this is uh, you know, not a, a place in the west side of the city and uh, it was mostly you know, working people and retired people, uh, perhaps underemployed people, whatever you want, want to call the... But, and for them, the idea of coming up with another $100 uh, a month was impossible. Wow. And, uh, you know, they, they did do it, but not without a few foreclosures. And wow. that is what I, you know, I do quite a bit of the collection side on, on Stratus. But, and, uh, yeah. Before we go there, let me just, um, it might be a great segue, just to very quickly talk about the depreciation report that, 
you know, most yes. strata corporations are are having to do, or at least having mm-hmm. to pass a three quarter vote resolution to to waive the requirement. How is that going to change um, what we're talking about the 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 requirement for money? Well, that has actually been a very good uh, legislative reform. The introduction of the requirement for stratas to obtain depreciation reports was intended to address this problem that we've been talking about under repair, uh, deferred repair and maintenance, I think is the, is the buzzword that's used. It's intended to make people plan for repair and maintenance and contingencies that can arise in the future. The uh, difficulty is that many of the buildings that are going to be required to get these are old and have, are already in very bad shape. So when they get their contingency reserve or study, their their um, depreciation report, what they're finding is that there is a boatload of repair and maintenance that is needed within, you know, a very short timeline, perhaps five years, in some case less than five years, but there's a five to ten year window where a lot of money needs to be raised uh, to prevent the building from being, being raised if you uh, uh, get that pun. So that, and, must, uh, that must raise... So many stratas are afraid to do it. Exactly. That's, about, that's just what I was about to say. So if, you know, for some owners living in that, that horribly maintained older building, they're probably uh, collectively saying, let's defer the, the requirement because if we do our depreciation report, we will never be able to sell a unit in this building again until we do all the work. That's right. And, uh, you know, I don't know that I necessarily agree that with that thinking because mm-hmm. a person, many of these buildings, you can tell just by looking at them and looking at the minutes and looking at the budgets that there, there is a repair issue w- w- looming somewhere yeah. that's not being talked about. You very good. look at them. Yeah, very, but, very good thought. But um, you're right. They're reluctant to do that because they, they know if they do it, number one, I'm going to have to pay out a whole bunch of money. If I'm banking on trying to sell this unit during this timeline of you know, five to ten years, I can't because no one is going to touch it if they know that uh, there's going to be you know, fifty to $60,000 in levies uh, coming, plus uh, you know, an increase in strata fees of 100 to $200 a month. Uh, I once mm. spoke to an engineer that does those reports, and this was right around the time that uh, Section 94 came in. Uh, and he was saying that by their estimation, about 95% of stratas were underfunding their uh, contingency reserve. Well, interestingly enough, when, as you know, when I own Summit, um, our recommendation to our clients when this was brought in was to defer the requirement for the, of the depreciation report, not because I didn't believe in it, but because I was getting proposals from, a, you know, a guy with a ladder and a flashlight saying he could write the uh, the depreciation report. And what I was suggesting to my clients was wait till the depreciation report industry in BC, you know, gets a bit of you know a bit of mileage, and see which firms uh, do them you know well and do them in a way in which you know it becomes a living dynamic document instead of some um, some fellow or some gal sitting in an office and just looking up the you know estimated life expectancy of a you know a metal roof and then plugging that into an Excel spreadsheet. That's right. Yeah, because there is very little in terms of requirements for who does the qualifications. 
And I do remember that when the requirement for depreciation reports came in, I was on Twitter at that time, and uh, I suddenly got about three or 400 new Twitter followers who were all people who were experts in depreciation reports. <laughs> <laughs> so like literally overnight, uh, I, my... <laughs> I know, I, and I, I was getting emails, unsolicited emails. I mean, like you, and and uh, it was frightening. It was absolutely yeah. frightening because what they weren't taking into account was, let's say there's there was buildings that were doing some maintenance, and and so what these depreciation report writing people weren't doing, were were getting up on the building and you know looking the, at the existing maintenance that's being done and how long you could extend the life of you know, a uh, component of a building with ongoing maintenance. And that was one of the components that was, you know, was being missed. But, but I think, and I've seen several reports that have come out from very, you know, reputable firms, and they're taking that into account. So I think the, the depreciation re- report writing industry in, in, in B, you know, in BC has come into its own now. And I think, mm-hmm. I think it's a very valuable um, document for strata corporations. Mm-hmm. Now, what happens if when they do this, uh, when the strata corporation decides to do the depreciation report, is there a legislative or a statute that's requiring them to fund um, components of that report? Uh, no. Uh, <laughs> that's one thing that I think is different about BC from some jurisdictions. Here we have the ability to opt out and the other thing is the legislation does not require you to follow the depreciation report once you get it. And uh, that is probably something that will uh, change at some point in the future. So today, you could get a depreciation report and uh, you could be told all these different things need to be done and you could simply ignore it. The, the, when you do that though, um, a shrewd buyer, someone that's actually paying attention to the details, will go, this is interesting. The, the strata fees according to this should be uh, 300 uh, you know, but for the last five years, they've only been you know, 200 uh, And so someone should be noticing that we have a depreciation report that says what the building should be doing. Strata is not deciding it, uh, is decided not to do it. Um, do I still want to buy in here? I mean, from the point of full disclosure, it gives, it gives information to an owner, a buyer, that they normally wouldn't have. Mm-hmm. Normally, you, if you, without a depreciation report, you really have no idea what the future condition of the building is going to be uh, or the future repair and maintenance requirements of the building are going to be. I wonder, if this strategy- is gonna, I wonder if this is going to create a situation where the older buildings that have not been maintained um, – are going to let's say do the depreciation report because because they they think they need to or they think they ought to. Um, many will be in a position perhaps where they can't afford the repairs. And I wonder if this is the time where developers and uh, others are going to swoop in, buy them all out, tear it down, and start um, you know reconstructing uh, newer buildings in place of those older buildings. And it might be an easy tool for those developers to you know, to pinpoint those buildings that, um, you know, might be ripe for the picking, as it were. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, I, you know, the government has uh, introduced legislation to make it somewhat easier for stratas to be wound up. And there are a lot of stratas in BC, old stratas that are ripe for this. I mean, there are many stratas that have beautiful gardens and landscaping and oodles of 
land around them uh, that they could probably increase the density uh, on those substantially and put completely modern, brand new facilities in there. Hmm. Uh, I think those things, that is a tool that certainly helps developers um, identify those buildings. You know, developers are pretty shrewd, though, and, and you and I have been around the block long enough to know you, you, you can look at a place and, and have a pretty good idea just by looking at it from the outside uh, what its condition is and whether fixing or tearing it down would make sense. The depreciation report will help for sure. Uh, uh, the thing that I think the government needs to do with it, though, is make it so that people can't opt out of it. Because one of the things that people have to remember is the Strata Property Act is primarily intended to be consumer protection legislation. And what's in, what, what is heartbreaking is when somebody buys into a place and doesn't have, the information isn't disclosed. You look at the minutes, there's nothing about repair and maintenance in them. There's no building envelope reports. And the buyer naively assumes that everything's okay and it's just a great value. And then they come in and they're told, oh yeah, by the way, we need to have a levy of $100,000 per owner. Now, what, what recourse would that owner have? I mean, it, it seems to me um, that, um, and, I, and I, could, I could well be wrong, but it seems to me that if enough due diligence was done by either the, the purchaser or the purchaser's realtor, if they're using a realtor, um, would be able to either um, find um, the information that the building is poorly you know, maintained or has lots of deferred maintenance, or would suggest to the buyer to do, um, you know, their own inspection or, or whatever. The protection yeah. for that buyer seems to me, um, um, you know, as you say, is, is it's, it's crazy that they're buying into places and then they're stuck with this massive levy not knowing it. Yeah, it's very sad. It is. But, but does that buyer have any recourse? Who can they, you what know, can they, they do? They, they might, but it's one of those situations where you go, okay, well, the vendor may have misrepresented in the property disclosure statement uh, what the condition of the building was or the unit, uh, and then the council may have, and the strata as a whole, may have historically misrepresented what the repair and maintenance needs of the, of the building are. So you have potentials for relief against you know, vendors and and uh, councils and maybe the realtor didn't do their job, uh, what have you. Uh, but, you know, the cost of pursuing those kinds of remedies when you're talking about, you know, I gave you the example of a levy of $100,000, but what if it's 25000 You know, what if you, 25000 is an impossible amount of money for you to raise. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, are you going to be suing a bunch of people and hiring lawyers to try to recover uh, twenty five grand? Um, yeah. So there are there are remedies. The, the question is, they don't they don't make sense in all all cases to uh, to pursue. And what what I I've had many people come to my office with this exact complaint. I bought in. I looked at the minutes. I carefully looked at everything. I hired my own building inspector. My building inspector didn't wasn't able to get access to the roof. Uh, you know, and they weren't allowed in the parkade. And you know, and then I looked at the minutes. There's no mention of this. Um, report that came out two days after uh, I bought. You know, they didn't mention that there had been drafts uh, of this report going back three years. Right. And uh, now I see that uh, I'm facing a $25,000 levy. Sure, you can go and 
got potential remedies there, but they're difficult to pursue uh, economically. Well, do you have what's needed is education? Yeah, where buyers need to be uh, know certain things and and make certain assumptions uh, that uh, an older building, an older building with low strata fees, is likely to uh, have a big ticket maintenance item coming up during the five year first five years of your ownership. That's a very Another good point. I'm say, if you talk if you talk to any realtor, well not perhaps not any realtor, but any experienced realtor, they will say to you, stay away from self managed buildings. Hmm. Self managed buildings, this is not a plug for the strata management industry. <laughs> self managed <laughs> buildings realtors will tell you that the worst record keeping ever. Because it's all volunteers. Right. Right? Um, you know, it's all volunteers, and uh, they don't have somebody that's, you know, keeping the proper records that are required. Uh, they don't have someone that's, you know, thinking about professional obligations and, and professional ethics and saying, do we have to disclose this report or not, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, so information tends to be concealed. And quite a few of the cases that I've been involved in where undisclosed information has been uh, an issue have involved self-managed buildings. Yeah. You know, where the buyer goes in and they, they buy and then they learn that none of the repair and maintenance was discussed in the uh, minutes. And, and for many people, their simple answer is, oh, if you don't see anything about leaks in there, that's a good sign. Hmm. might not be a good sign. You should actually see, oh, we we a leak uh, on the roof and we fixed it and uh, we're calling in a consultant. You mean you should, you should, should see that in the minutes, you mean? You should see it because yeah. all buildings have issues. Every home in British Columbia has issues. Right. It's impossible that, that a place, you know, you look at two years of minutes and not see one reference to repair and maintenance. Yeah. It's very, very suspicious, but unfortunately, a naive and inexperienced buyer will actually look at that as a good sign. Well, I think maybe the message from at least this part of, the, of, our, of our discussion is either um, you know, hook up with a, an experienced realtor or at least um, take the position of buyer beware and be very, very cautious. Even though the price point is probably where you want it, it's probably there for a reason. Yes, and... And I think I think also to look at uh, you want to look at places that are having repair and maintenance issues and are dealing with it. You want to look at places that have depreciation reports so you can see if are they are they at least working some kind of plan that is consistent with it. And that's not easy because depreciation reports are not exactly you know it's it's not like reading a menu. If they're they're complicated. Mm-hmm. And um, you know what I what I tell people is when you're buying into a condo. You're becoming a shareholder in the equivalent of a fairly big corporation, and it does require quite a bit of due diligence, and it does require quite a bit of disclosure. It is a complex transaction, perhaps more complex than buying a detached single-family home. Yeah, yeah, good point. Well, listen, we're uh, we're at uh, we're almost finished here, um, mm-hmm. and I know I wanted. We were talking originally about um, liens and and um, foreclosure. Um, why don't we just quickly finish up on what happens when someone doesn't pay their fees? What the what the remedies are, and then we can we can say uh, uh, say goodbye for this particular podcast, and we'll pick up another one later on. 
Sounds good. So when uh, stratas uh, are owed money by an owner for strata fees and special levies, monthly strata fees and special levies, it has the power under the Act to file a lien on title to the strata lot. That lien, just like a builder's lien, which people are more familiar with, ranks uh, in priority to all other charges on title, including mortgages. Uh, the only thing ranking above it would be a builder's lien or uh, a tax lien, money owing to the crown. So when money is owed to a strata corporation, the strata corporation is, is pretty secure in terms of collecting. And the other thing is that the Act has an expedited process for a strata corporation to register a lien and then sell the strata lot to collect the lien um, when the owner doesn't pay. And that process is very similar to foreclosure, what's used by a bank, except it's actually quite a bit faster. Hmm. In the typical foreclosure, um, bank gets an order and an owner has a six-month redemption period. If they have equity in their property, they've got six months to pay off the mortgage before the bank then gets a conduct of sale and can sell the property. In strata law, because the amounts of money owing are typically smaller, usually somewhere between two to five thousand dollars is probably the average. Uh, we're not talking about a two hundred or three hundred or five hundred thousand dollar mortgage. Um, our redemption period is one month. So if the owner doesn't pay the amount due on the lien plus costs within one month, we then list the property for sale. Then what happens is uh, it probably takes us anywhere from three to eight months to sell the property depending on where it's located and what condition it's in, and et cetera, et cetera. So it, it's a very, uh, I do a lot of them, uh, and I, uh, the strata liens and forced sales are a little bit like a canary in the coal mine of what's going on in the economy. Mm. At different times, uh, I, my clients will file liens, and I will get conduct of sale and actually sell the strata lot. Wow. At other times, the banks pay the lien and then foreclose. And right now we're in a period where banks are paying the liens and foreclosing because they want to try to have control over the sale of the property. And so how I interpret that is that many of the people that I'm foreclosing on are over-leveraged and already have no equity. In but the either way, the, the Strata Corporation gets its money in a, in a fairly Strata, quick manner. Strata gets money in a, in a fairly quick manner. Well, actually, I'm going to say not fairly quick because sometimes when banks are uh, foreclosing, they take a long time uh, mm. to sell. And some properties are just hard to sell. Mm. Uh, you know, if you're in a suburban area and it's a rundown building, you you're, you probably won't sell as easy as something more central, um, you know, near public transit, that sort of thing. Those will sell a little faster. But, uh, yeah, it's a, it's a, um, the four sales are a great way for stratas to have their recovery. So, uh, you know, stratas out there that are listening, strata council members who have strata fees owing, they, if they follow the procedures under the Act, they can collect their money quite quickly. Owners that might be listening who are facing this, um, they, need, they can understand that you know, a lien procedure is not going to result in them being homeless in 24 hours. In fact, it can actually take months. Uh, they, they can end up living in their unit for months without paying strata fees. But I suppose for the owners that are listening and not paying, the message is, you know, your, your neighbors are, are funding you. Uh, they're putting yeah. the money up, uh, you know, when, when, you're, when you should be putting your money up. And, and at some point, um, collections are going to come due. 
Yeah, you know, and my sort of feeling about these things, I mean, we tend to sort of stigmatize people that get into these binds. A lot of times people get into these binds for, I'm going to say most of the time, for no fault of their own. You know, it could be divorce or a, a layoff or whatever. It's not like someone is just living the life of Riley. I have had a few of those where people just have bad priorities. But a lot of the people that I deal with are people who have just, you know, fallen on hard times. So, I, you know, I try to um, be compassionate and understanding with them and, you know, not be too... I, too judgmental. I'm, in fact, I'm not judgmental at all. In fact, in most cases, I never see them. They, they may phone me to say they don't have the money. And then I explain to them, you know, how long it's going to take and tell them that they have time to order their affairs. They're not going to end up homeless uh, tomorrow. And I suppose the other thing, too, is that if if someone's in a position where they find themselves un, unable to pay is to reach out to the Strata Council explain their position. Um, That's true. Uh, I yeah. think many Strata Councils are very sympathetic. And would be in a position to, you know, to grant them some some leave to to you know to make a different payment schedule, as it were. Yeah, um, absolutely. absolutely. Uh, after all, they are neighbors and they're friends, and and um, hopefully not get you into know, a fisticuff. I, I know I know we're wrapping up, but I think one topic that we can discuss in the future is um, loans for repairs. If you haven't done that one before, that sounds like because, our next podcast. Because that is actually an interesting topic, because it also has a definite impact on strategies. All right. Well, and, let's um, let's do that yeah, we one. We can talk about that in the future. Well, listen, Paul, thank you very much. Um, that was very interesting. I know we started out on a topic and took a tangent all the way into repairs and maintenance and depreciation reports, but I think it was a, I think it was a really good uh, and informative talk. Thanks very much. Thank you for having me, Barry. Okay. Take care.